1: This isn't
0: your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is The
1: James Altucher Show. Today on The James Altucher Show. Seven and a half years ago, I got thyroid cancer, and the average life expectancy of somebody in my situation was 14 months.
0: So let's look at like a best case scenario. You're looking at a maximum of three years. That's about right, yeah. When you first realized the full
1: depth of what was happening, what was your first reaction? Immediately, everybody became very important to me. Immediately, time became super important to me. The desire to connect with the meaning overwhelmed the time I had for the meaningless. You know, life is just way too short to get paid to hang out with people you don't like. Can they ever
0: make, like, I don't know robots the size of cells that just go through and find all the cells and patch them up?
1: I mean, that's the science fiction, you know, the nanotech stuff. I don't know, you know, they're anywhere close to doing something like that. <laughs> One thing that people always say to me is, you know, I can't imagine what it would be like to go through what you're going through. And to what I always say to them, neither can I. Like, my brain can't fathom it any more than your brain can. It's just this fact that is unimaginable. So about
0: a year or so ago I had on this podcast a very good friend of mine and he was diagnosed at that time with terminal cancer. We had been talking the day before and his outlook on life was so amazing to me and his perspective, knowing that he had limited time left on the planet. I said, come on the podcast tomorrow and he did. And we were able to really have a frank discussion about what it means when you know you're going to die very soon. We all know we're going to die, but he knew specifically that his time was shorter than most. And it just changed his entire perspective on life. And there was just so much wisdom in that podcast. I was amazed and we got a lot of great feedback. But sadly, I heard this morning that he passed away. I knew he'd He was getting more and more sick. He was, for a while, every single experimental medication was working. Like they would say to him, oh, this experimental medication will work for six months. And hopefully there'll be a new one ready that you can try in six months. And it would work for six months. And, you know, lo and behold, another experimental medication would be ready and it would work for another six months. And he kept extending his time. And I even said to him, are you worried you're going to live forever now because you've prepared yourself so much for everything. But anyway, a few months ago, the last experimental medication had kind of run its course and there was nothing left for him to try and he was in a lot of pain. So he he went into essentially a, a hospice and uh, started taking care of himself in in other ways than just taking medication. And this morning I got the news that Unfortunately, this friend of mine has passed away, but I'm reminded of just the amazing knowledge and wisdom he shared with with us and with me on this podcast. So we're going to re-air it. And Mike, uh, we had such so good... Getting to know you. I've got on the show a very special guest, Mike Van Cleve. Mike, how's it going?
1: It's going very well, thank you.
0: So Mike, I would think it's fair to say 20 years ago, we were probably like best friends.
1: That's definitely true, yes.
0: We used to go to comedy clubs together, we worked together, we'd play chess together, literally every single day for years. Yes. This is probably like a three-year period. Something like that, yeah. We went to Aspen, Aspen Comedy Festival, probably traveled around other places, I can't remember other places, but we lost touch as these things go. We got back in touch a year ago and we're talking and talking and talking and then you were like, oh, that's right, you don't know, I've been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Yeah. And this was just about a year ago, maybe less than a year ago. It was nine months ago, it was in February. Yeah, nine months ago. And when they first diagnosed you, correct me if I'm wrong, you were given a few months to live or six months to
1: live. Well, they were unclear about it, you know I mean? Because there's just a tremendous amount of ambiguity with cancer. I mean, what I did know was the average life expectancy of somebody in my situation was 14 months.
0: What kind of cancer was it?
1: It is, well, so it was actually, Seven and a half years ago, I got thyroid cancer and 99% of the, the cases is beatable. And so- It's like Barbara Bush got thyroid cancer, right? I actually don't know, but right. I wouldn't be surprised. Okay. It's fairly common actually, uh, as far as cancers go. When you first realized the full potential
0: outcome and, and depth of what was happening, what was your first reaction?
1: My, literally my first reaction was, I thought of all the people I wanted to see. And I realized uh, that I, I wouldn't be able to see them, and so you know going because there were so many people. Yeah, and actually going just slightly back, uh, when you were asking, what did they tell me? Uh, at one point, I said to the the doctor, when she just said, "Well, you already understand it," and I said, "Well, like, you know, could you give me a sense, like, you know, six months, twelve months, or you know, should I keep working? Should I, you know, do this other stuff?" And she said, uh, "I can tell you this." I would strongly try to enjoy the next six months of your life. Mm. And that was really the strongest thing that she said at that stage. But again, that matched up with the numbers. And so I knew that, you know, if untreated, it would get, you know, the, the, the end that I just described would still happen no matter what. So I already knew that. And so then I was just like, how could I see, you know, every person who was important to me? And so what I ended up doing was I went through, uh, my, you know, my social media accounts, and I went through my uh, email, every email I'd ever sent uh, that I could find, really every email since Gmail, mm. and then emailed every person in my life that I, that I had their contact information to and said, I'm having a party, and I'd really like you to come to this party, and it's okay if you can't, but here's what's going on. And you didn't explain the reason for the party? Oh, no, I explained to everybody. Okay. Yeah, and so that was a a very shocking letter for a lot of people to get. And, uh, you know, it was in January in France, in the countryside, and I thought maybe 20 people would show up. And then it was really, really overwhelming because uh, almost 200 people came to the party mm. and they uh, they flew in from all over the world. My uh, best friend from junior high, who I hadn't spoken to in over 20 years, uh, showed up. Uh, it was just really amazing. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and so what did you do did you quit your job? Oh yeah, no I quit my job. You quit your job instantly like the next day? Pretty much yeah. yeah. So so yeah. it took a little bit. I was I was working in a startup at that stage and I was uh, But there's no more dreams of like oh this
0: startup's going to work out and I'm going to get wealthy no, for I, the next 30 years. <laughs> no, I don't care.
1: Right. So so suddenly in fact I still own shares in that company. I had a conversation with the uh, the current CEO and mm-hmm. he was talking about buying me out or not buying me out or know keeping me on and I was just like I don't care I mean like whatever you want to do I'll I'll sell you the shares I won't show you the shares you tell me it doesn't matter to me yeah you know I don't have kids don't you know don't anticipate having kids so what do I care there's just be you know my goal is to die with five dollars in my bank account right and and
0: um I'm having trouble coming up with a question actually (laughs) so so you have this party. You're being t- you. You think you have no idea how long you're going to live. At that point, probably when you have the party, you don't know which treatments are going to work for how long. And did you get scared? Were you more scared or sad? Numb. Because what sounds scary is not so much the death. But correct me if I'm wrong, because I haven't been through this. What sounds scary is not so much the death, but the pain of the death. But what sounds sad is the not
1: seeing people you want to see that that was that was my overwhelming feeling before the party you know and then after the party you know i i saw everybody
0: but you know like for instance i think of life and i think okay i'm 49 there's still a whole potential second half to my life mm-hmm. anything can happen it could even be more kids or there could be more jobs more opportunities more things to be creative about um what did you specifically stop thinking about, or stop hoping for, or stop being anxious about?
1: Well, I mean that process was slow. Mm. Uh, you know, the the first couple months uh, before even before the party, I, I mean, I was just became a complete mess, uh, and it was really just what does shock. that mean? I mean, well, I was I was drinking too much. I was you know not doing anything, uh, just partying, trying to you know just figure stuff out, talking a lot, crying a lot. Uh, uh, I always find, I can always tell over the years, if I'm going through a really tough time, if I cry while I'm watching Modern Family. And I don't know what it is, every once in a while in Modern Family, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> Phil loves Claire so much. I just can't stop crying, uh, which I always think it's funny. That's the one show that makes me cry sometimes. Uh, but so I just kind of this this mess and I really don't remember that stage very well honestly. I was just completely in shock. Mm. And you know, one thing that people always say to me is, you know, I can't imagine what it would be like, you know, to 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 go through what you're going through. And to what I always say to them, neither can I. Like your my brain can't fathom it any more than your brain can. And so it's just like this, it's just this fact that is unimaginable. I I feel like
0: there's this other cliche too, which is that, oh, we're all going to die eventually. You just happen to have a little more clarity on when it's going to happen. Like I could go outside today and get hit by a car. But the reality is, you know, if you've lived, let's say I've lived 2,500 weeks so far, uh, the odds are pretty good I'm going to live another one. (laughs) Like I have no reason to think I'm not going to live another Week or month or year or whatever. The statistics are sort of on my side to live forever, actually, and then eventually I'll die. Right, eventually, you won't live forever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of good until it isn't. Right. But you, you, unlike me or unlike most people walking around, have kind of a this this window into, um, you know, how many months, years, and and what will happen during those months and years, and and so on. So 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 like specifically like like what, what, what. Joys? Do you think? Did you set What were the first joys you think you realized you would miss? So obviously the friends were one, but you kind of solved—not solved it, but, but actually,
1: ca- I, I understand the question, mm. and, I, and I don't know how to answer it because that wasn't my experience. Hmm. Like, yeah, I, so I don't know. So, like, what was? Your yeah, experience? I mean, so I, I wasn't all of a sudden worried about kind of what I would miss, uh, I worried about who I would miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, eventually, I mean, immediately everybody became very important to me. Uh, immediately time became super important to me.
0: Oh, well, well I wanna want ask this. So if everybody became important to you, who didn't become important to you? You say everyone, but I'm sure not everyone. I'm sure some people actually oh, reduced an importance. It's
1: very polar. It's very polar now. Yeah. Uh, no, actually, if they were important to me, it's very hard for me to not, Hold on to people in the past who are important, Mm -hmm. you know, like whatever you know thing that we had that caused us to quit talking. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was in New York and and saw your your, you you show up in my social media, I was just like, why wouldn't I talk to that guy? He was a hugely important part of my life, and I don't remember what it was that we did. You know, actually, you told me what you thought it was, and I thought it was something else. And so, like, like there was just some stupid thing, and 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 that no longer mattered at all. And whether you had done this or done that, or I'd done this or I'd done that, just didn't matter at all anymore. The The relationship all of a sudden became the most important thing. Right, the fact that
0: there was meaning. There was meaning. And, and what relationships did you find that were even current for you, ha- did you realize had no meaning and so you dropped them?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, there, there, that was definitely, it wasn't as binary as that because mm. it was more Uh, It was more that that the the, the desire to connect with the meaning overwhelmed the time I had for the meaningless. Instead of thinking what you're going to miss or what anxieties you're going to get rid of, you just
0: focused on today. And I don't mean to put words in your mouth. I'll let you continue. I'm just trying to understand it. Today, um, how can I add to the meaning in my life today or what will provide
1: meaning today? Right. Mm I mean, and, and it, yes, meaning, I mean, the, the, the semantics get challenging at some point, but it's like, what's, what's important? You know, what do I want to do? I remember very clearly uh, early on when, you know, I mean, in the beginning, I really thought, you know, no more than a year and a half, uh, maybe two at the outside. And I remember uh, I was really tired one Friday night, and I was just like, I thought to myself, you have 50 to 75 Fridays left. Like, how could you just sit here like i don't want to spend one of my 50 friday nights sitting on the you know sitting around feeling bad for myself i'm going to do something i don't know what but i'm going to go find something that's better than what i'm currently doing do you remember what you did that yeah, night I went to a, i'm sure i went over to a bar and flirted with somebody the uh i mean you know it's funny i the and i've mentioned this to you before uh but what i really came away with and it's and this is cliche and it's funny i I used to really there was a bunch of things i think i figured out that i really wanted to share with people and at some point i realized uh in some ways you can't understand it until you understand it and you know it's a little bit like you know talking to a child well I, by the way that totally didn't mean that condescendingly no you could condescend- but the uh no no but i mean like in the sense that like Sunday like 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 your first great heartbreak you know everybody's like it's okay, you'll survive, there'll be another one. But you can't imagine what it would be like because you've never had that happen to you. And so at a certain point, I realized it's a similar thing. It's not, that, it's not that I have a better perspective, I just have a different vantage point that's really hard to understand uh, or to, to really process, I think. Um, and, uh, and the one thing that I've come to understand completely is there's only one thing in your life that matters and that's the quality of your relationships. And and you know it's such a cliche. You can look back at thousands of quotes of people who are old and dying, and they always talk about the people in their lives. Nobody cares about how much money you have when you die. It just doesn't matter. And so most of the things that we sit around, you know, spending our life in, worrying about, you realize at this stage has no meaning. Now it's important, maybe you know, it's important that I have a job because I got to pay money. I got I to spend money. I got to I got to live. But the job itself only has the importance that you place in it. There's no mm-hmm. fundamental intrinsic importance to that. And I was talking to a friend of mine uh, girlfriend now fiance uh, when I first met her, uh, first time I'd ever met her, a really old dear friend of mine and she came to Paris and she's a psychologist and she said uh, and this was right after I learned I mean he he got on a plane within a week or two of my my learning and uh, his uh, girlfriend was and I was, so I was very negative and she was like, uh, you know, hey Mike, is there, uh, is there anything positive? I mean, I don't. It's a weird question, but is there you know any goodness that's come out of this? And I said, well, yeah. I mean, the one thing I realized is that the only thing that matters in life is relationships. And and then you know we talked about that for a moment, and then about an hour, two hours later, we're we're you know it had actually gone inside. Uh, we're at a cafe and. And she said, you know, earlier I, I heard you say that what's most important to you is the relationships in your life. And I really, I mean, I just met her, so I couldn't say anything. I didn't think I could say anything, but I really got annoyed with her. Cause I was like, no, I most certainly did not say that. I did not say what's important to me. I said, it's very clear to me that this is the only thing that's important. And, and, I, and it's funny, I keep having these conversations with people all the time. And I, people kind of are like, yeah, that makes sense but it doesn't really register because you just behave differently if the, your relationships are the most important thing in your well,
0: life. Well, it's interesting because I do kind of think, I mean, I was just on a, someone else's podcast earlier this morning and they were asking like, well, how do you know, it was all like success, this, success, that, but it re, I said it, it really does. Even success boils down to the quality of the relationships yes. in your life. Like if you have, 20 good relations let's say you have 20 good people in your company and one bad person your company is going to go down the tubes so right. like a 20 to 1 ratio you need like everybody to be pretty good or at least 50 to be good and <laughs> one to be bad that to, to counterbalance it right and so i do think that is like a truism but i think maybe um to, to let's try to be devil's advocate for a second clearly if you have like a bunch of kids that you have to pay for and and a, and a wife you have to pay for their survival after you're uh dead and if the wife has been a uh, raising the kids you have to think about them a little bit right but i, really have to think I about would money. argue that
1: that is about the quality of the relationship yeah you know if you have a crappy relationship with them you don't care about the relationship you just don't take care of them after you're dead
0: and and here's another one and this is going to sound odd but you have to also take care of your health so you have to take care of every other aspect of your health like you can't you have to eat well but and sleep well. I'm and, very
1: clearly not saying that's the only thing right. that, that, well, actually, maybe I did say that, but I'm not saying that the other things aren't important. I'm saying that the quality of your relationships is most important.
0: Right, because if you spend any time, like if you take, a, take one of your 50 Fridays left, mm-hmm. if you spend that Friday with someone you didn't really want to spend that time with, why would you, you know, it, does, it almost
1: makes zero sense when you put the math right. to it. And the thing is, I'd also say that like, you know, and I'm not uh, blowing air up your skirt, but like, I know that you know this. You know, and that's and what I'm saying is, is that I find that it's challenging to, to, to teach this because if you know it, you know it, and it's obvious. And if you don't, you don't. But like, you know, if I read your, uh, your blog, like half of the things that you talk about are all about relationships. Even if they don't say they're about relationships, right. you know, be an idea machine, think of somebody and send them ideas. You know, that's clearly, I'm building a relationship with right. you. And that's you know every successful person I know says that you know every happy person I know says that you know every unhappy unsuccessful person I know thinks it's something other than relationships or they're just really bad at relationships. Um, You know there was the Harvard study uh, I can't remember the name of the the title but the longitudinal study that started in the '30s and is and is still going the largest study ever done on on people Um, and so you know like. Kennedy was in that class, uh, like a whole bunch of really famous people uh, were in that class. But what was interesting is that over the uh, the kind of 70 years the study has been going on, they came up with three things that are the largest indicators of all positive metrics in your life, happiness, success, financial stability, health. And the three strongest um, variables in in that were in this order, smoking, drinking and the quality of your relationships.
0: I don't understand. what was the smoking and the drinking part?
1: Well, smoking and drinking are massively negatively correlated. Oh, I see. And I see. so people, smokers, it turns out earlier in life uh, and drinkers really happy. Things are going great, woo. But by the time you're 60 or 70, you pay the piper for that, huh. uh, which is good news because I'm not gonna live to 60 or 70, so I'm not gonna have to pay the piper. We we'll don't know for sure, but, but <laughs> no, if great. there's a new drug coming out. Exactly, we'll cross okay. our fingers. Uh, but the uh, the people who had the highest quality relationships were the ones who were the happiest, the healthiest, lived the longest. And incidentally, the people who were the happiest, this is around 1970 to 1980, because of the age of that cohort, the people who were happiest, oh, I mean, sorry, had the best relationships made on average $250,000 a year more than the people who had lower quality relationships. Could there be a causal thing there that people who
0: make more somehow attract more friends? I'm just just wondering the statistics.
1: Obviously this is correlation, not causal.
0: Yeah. Clearly it's the quality of the relationships have to be important. Does it help to have a lot of high quality relationships or does that not matter
1: as much? I say this a lot. I mean, time is your only non-replaceable resource. So, you know, it takes a huge amount of time to build anything of really high quality Mm. and so you got to play a balance in it is i I can't have a thousand friends you know i can have a thousand acquaintances but those are not really necessarily very high quality now i can still try to have the highest quality acquaintances but if i had if i tried to have 200 close friends then i would have no close friends right and so there is some balance in there and i think i don't really know the statistics i know it's been studied i think you can have like no more than four or five close friends and you know, 20, I mean, like four or five really close friends and maybe 20 close friends and, you know, a hundred acquaintances or something in that effect. That that's the total amount that- Yeah, yeah. That you ever hear handle. something
0: called the Dunbar number? No. So it's, uh, you can basically have 150 people that you- I don't know if it's acquaintances or that you know enough about that you can consider an acquaintance. Exactly. And so if you don't have that in your life, then what happens is, which many people don't actually, what happens is then that's where People Magazine and Us Magazine, all these things come in. You think Kim Kardashian, you're, the brain thinks Kim Kardashian's your friend because you're seeing
1: her every day. Um, James, are you suggesting that Kim Kardashian is not my friend? <laughs> That's exactly what I'm suggesting. You've been fooling yeah. yourself all this time, inviting that's, her to France. That's and really upsetting. It's no wonder she's
0: not, not responded to you. <laughs> no, she
1: hasn't. I just I thought maybe uh she's you know, just busy. I was getting
0: lost in the mail or something. Right. Um so so I mean, what do you do then? Like sitting here listening to this, what do you suggest to people? <laughs> let's say let's say you're invited to a dinner and you don't really feel like going. What do you do? <laughs>
1: uh I make a determination. Uh between uh my time and my commitment to that relationship you know it's huh. just it's it's a I, mean, I don't want to say it's just mathematical but it's a fairly simple you know, but you can make that
0: mathematical calculation let's say someone doesn't know how many i mean it almost sounds like too, too crude to think of mathematically but let's say someone doesn't know how much time they have but they could potentially be seeing this person a lot more let's say it's a boss that they don't want to mm-hmm. you know do this with or that what what's the uh what would you what would the solution be I'm asking you like an oracle of, of Delphi here.
1: <laughs> I mean, uh, again, I think you know. I mean, like uh, sometimes uh, for me. I mean, of course, I don't work anymore. It's it's really. I mean, it's so strange. It's, it's, I, I didn't mean like the work kind of thing. No, no, no just, I understand. Let's say if, uh, but, but like, let's I, say a girl that that's exactly. I was, I'm just going to switch the the, the, okay. the context, um, but like. You know, if if I, you know, say for example, as you know, this has happened recently, that I met somebody that seemed really interesting to me, and I thought that there might be something, I would invest a tremendous amount of of time and energy in a short period of time to find out whether that was going to mean something, whether it was going to be meaningful, Uh, and then if it isn't, then you know I'm going to react differently. So it's kind of you know, if it was a boss, you know, and I and I was it was important. I would probably do it. At the same time, I probably wouldn't work for somebody I really didn't want to spend time with anymore. Right. You know, life is just way too short to get paid to hang out with people you don't like.
0: Now, when you when you first found out about the diagnosis, you weren't in a romantic relationship. Nope. So did that make you sad? The fact that there wasn't somebody who would who was kind of almost by definition would stick through it with you for, for that duration? Did you feel sad about that?
1: Uh that's very complicated Mm -hmm. uh there's no easy answer to that uh there's parts of it that i i mean i go i've gone through really different periods of it too there's parts of time when i'm actually happy uh in a weird way not to be in that relationship Uh, i don't have near the emotional and physical reserves i did uh prior to being on the medication so i don't really know you know i have uh I have six plants in my apartment from three years ago. And I think one of them may be doing okay. Uh, three of them are just dead in their pots. I haven't even bothered to throw them out. So like, I, I can't care for any living thing right now.
0: Why, why do the um, emotional reserves go down? Because, because of the actual emotional duress of the situation or is there a medical reason the emotional reserves go down?
1: Uh, a little bit of both. I mean, the emotional mm-hmm. reserves just go down because I'm I'm tired. You know, mm-hmm. I only have a few hours a day where I feel really good. It varies from you know from time to time, but about a year and a half ago, I left my apartment about six hours a week. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the time I was just at home on the sofa. Uh, and and when people would come visit me after about an hour, I'd be just happy for them to go. Mm-hmm. And so at those, at those moments, I really just didn't have a lot of energy to give to people. And was that um, the tail end of one of the drug protocols? That was actually the beginning of one of the drug protocols where they had me on the mm-hmm. maximum dosage and I was reacting very poorly to it. I see so, those side effects. Yeah, and so they kept lowering the dose until I was fine. Uh, what about in terms
0: of like starting new, like obviously relationships are important. Romantic relationships are part of relationships. Do you consider starting new ones knowing that, and, and how do people react to you knowing that there's kind of a timeline on the romantic relationship?
1: It's, you know, it's it's, chal- it's challenging. It's, 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 uh I've recently had my kind of thinking uh, uh, knocked out of balance on that. I think that I, I was overestimating the impact of, uh, of, of my illness on it. But there's no doubt that uh, it's a big decision to get involved with somebody who you know how it's going to end. And you know that there's going to be a really difficult period of time. Uh, and so I find that it, it has to be certain, you know, certain people at certain places are, are, are gonna want to be, be, you know, consider that. And other people just aren't. And I really do understand. Uh, it's not, it's also very challenging early on in dating, because if I don't tell you that I'm sick, uh, then I, I actually have to hide a lot from you. And I really I think life's too short to lie and pretend to be something that you're not. And so I wanna tell you because I want you to know me, and it's such a big part of my life. Uh, but you know, on a first date, um, oh, let me just mention to you, stage four metastatic cancer, uh, and and now you know you have an hour and a half conversation because it takes about an hour hour and a half to work through this the first time uh, when you when somebody learns it, uh, and I actually you know I've I've, I've told more than uh, I don't know more than three hundred people uh, in, in person at some point about this and I know almost exactly how the conversation's gonna go and and it really does. It takes forty five minutes to 90 minutes, no matter what, to to get through all the questions and the initial shock. And and that's just horrible first date conversation. But now if you go if you wait to the sixth date, well this is really awkward because the person's like, I'm I might want to wanted to have known that actually. That seems like useful information for me. Right. and And have you gone to the sixth date no of course not uh because i i overshare so you know sometime in the first two dates i i tell them and then they seems like it would be hard to even last to the second date Before it's really hard yeah one of my friends is always just like dude just don't tell them and i'm like i yeah but i i want to tell them
0: right that's who i am and so so what else has like changed obviously you quit your job Kind of hang out in France. Hang out in France. Do you spend time with you? Your family's in Colorado, I know, right? Or Kentucky? Uh, Kentucky,
1: well, they they have two houses, so mm-hmm. they're either in Kentucky or Colorado. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been in Kentucky for a while, so yeah. Do you spend uh, as
0: much time as possible with them? I and mean, you're living in France, so why don't you spend all your time with them?
1: Uh, well, one of the major reasons is because of French healthcare. Mm-hmm. Uh, I truly, I couldn't, I don't think I could get the healthcare uh, that I have in France in the US. Mm. Uh, there's certainly no private insurance that I'm aware of that would cover the quality of healthcare that I have. Um,
0: you know, are, there, there, are there any kind of rogue countries that don't, I mean like the FDA, the EMA, like all oh, most of these drug administrations around the world kind of all work together. Are there any kind of um, rogue countries where just like any drug is is on the market and, and you could try the most experimental things
1: possible? Probably, but you know, I wouldn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it's funny. I, I uh, so often you you you, I, you know I talk. Everybody I talk to, not everybody. It's gross exaggeration. Many times I'm talking to somebody and they come up with like, oh, you know, raw almonds. You, that's that's a secret. You just got to eat raw almonds, and you know, or I don't know what it is.
0: Does uh, any of that stuff ever work? Like, for instance, I do have one friend who says. Uh, this is part of the whole no-carb thing, carbs cause inflammation, that causes the cancer cells to replicate. Just stop immediately, like put your brain in
1: ketosis and all carbs gone. Uh, is there any truth to any of that? I don't think so. I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't think so. Uh, you know, what causes cancer is, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a random defect. And so now I think you can make a strong, uh, I mean, you could make, theoretically, a strong argument that a certain lifestyle uh, or food choice would actually increase the likelihood of that genetic failure occurring. But once the failures occurred, it's, it's just simple chemistry at that stage, you know? And so it's- uh, um, You can't like
0: starve the cancer cells of a particular nutrient that they need?
1: No, because the thing is the cancer cells are just slightly unhealthy cells. I mean, they're just the only thing that's wrong with them is that they are not supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. But you know, these are thyroid cells in my body, and so mm-hmm. they're just thyroids, and mm-hmm. and so they're you know the body can't tell the difference between those thyroids as as, as healthy thyroid cells. And non healthy thyroid cells. But,
0: by the way, are, if they if you have all these many thyroids, do they generate hormones or no? That part they well, don't that's why I say
1: they do. That's the cancer marker. Is mm. that they measure the thyroglobulin, which is the thyroid hormone? I don't take because mm. it's not used, mm. and so they can see how much how much the uh, the thyroids are producing.
0: But are are they also producing testosterone or anything like that? No, because they only produce T one T two and T three hormones but those go into the pituitary gland, you said, and potentially produce these other hormones or no? Well, the
1: thing is that's actually on the, the, so these are all building blocks. And so really what you have to have for the most part is just enough of them around mm. uh, that your body can can convert them into what it needs to. So mm-hmm. it's more of a thresholding thing. It is possible to be hyperthyroidal, but you have to have a lot extra to, to become hyperthyroidal. Mm. Uh, and. I mean, these the, you know the total mass of these things is very small. I mean, all the tumors is much smaller than the original thyroid was. So mm. you know, it's a fairly insignificant amount that it's adding.
0: But it's a significant enough that it'll it'll kill you.
1: No, no. The, I mean, no. that the, the, the what what kills you is, uh, as I said, is that the it'll either be the brain and that it actually you know grows into parts of the brain and, and destroys function of the brain because it's actually just you know. Uh, right. Compressing the brain and right. shutting off, you know, and stealing vascularization from the brain. That's one of the big things that the, the cancer does is that, you know, these cells have no vascularization. I mean, there's no arteries going to them or anything. So, what part of what happens in the genetic modification is they're able to glom onto something and then they steal the nutrients from that thing. And so, the parasitic part of it is actually what kills you uh, in that case. Or the other case is bone failure which then they just keep growing in the bones and and break the bones and then, you know, spine collapses. So so what are you going to
0: do? What do you think? I'm sure you've pictured this. Once the final thing looks like it's not working and the doctors are sort of like shrugging their shoulders and looking around at each other, what are you going to do then?
1: I don't know. Um, I really don't. Uh, I'm not, I mean, it's, the, one of the major differences in the way I live my life now versus pre-cancer is literally, I can't predict anything more than 90 days out. And my brain actually just doesn't engage in that kind of behavior anymore. Uh, mm. It's just when I think about something, 90, you know, six months out, it's just a gray wall because so many times through, through a change in medication or something not working, you know, I don't know from month to month how I'm going to feel.
0: Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And... I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and while I'm away, and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything then go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use Hims. Hims, H-I-M-S, Hims is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? (laughs) Yes, I definitely got to use hims for now. Not on. that you need it. You're you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You you're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the hims app, track progress and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hims. HIMS.com slash James. Could you imagine that? There's a whole section just with my name on it. HIMS.com slash James. That's how I, how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs HIMS. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. HIMS.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. So I wonder, I wonder if this is applicable at all in in, let's say, normal, quote unquote, normal life. In the, is that, you know, we none of us really know six months out what's going to happen. And yet we do have to like I have to plan six months out. I have to plan a year out. I have kids growing up and stuff like that. I I guess I have to think about it, but maybe there's a way I think about it with too much anxiety sometimes or I don't know. I'm wondering
1: Yeah I now, think, that, now think, that I'm trying I to think, pick
0: apart this for my lessons, but uh
1: No no I think that's great. I think I think you I mean I, I think if you know if you're really honest with yourself and you look back over your life, you'll probably realize that your one year, five year and 10 year plan was almost never more than 10% accurate. Right, or less, Uh, much less. Exactly. And so at a certain level- I could never have predicted just about anything. Exactly. So it's just negative emotional masturbation. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, you you, you masturbate and feel worse at the end because you imagined everything that was horrible. And Mm -hmm. then you know that it's probably not, it's not gonna work because you know you don't know and so you just spend all this time, and energy and you just don't know, and you make the decisions. So you, know, you make the decisions on the fly. Uh, I like to talk about the metaphor of, uh, uh, or think about the metaphor of going West. Uh, and so I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you before, but you know, there was the, of course the, the saying, go West young men for, for fortune line. I always think that like the people in New York city, when they were thinking about going West, I mean, they didn't have flights. They had no idea what West was. They didn't have color photographs. And so they're like, oh, the streets are paved with gold, uh, virgins everywhere, you know, whatever mm-hmm. they said. But they had this vision of what West is. And, and they really, all they really knew about West is that it wasn't north, south, or east. And so they just got in their wagons and they started heading west. And some of them got to like St. Louis and saw the, you know, the river. And they're like, oh, this is perfect. This is what West looks like. I love this. I'm gonna stay here. And you know, some went to Kansas and they're like, oh, fields, west, I love West. And some got to Montana, and they're like, no, mountains, that's West. And some got to California, like, there's nothing else to do, so this must be West. But you know what the, th- the thing that they had was they had a direction. And I think the direction's hugely important, but the, the the notion that you can plan for what are you gonna do in the West when you're in New York City is just absurd. You'll never know what West is. You can only recognize West once you get West. And so for you, like I've known you long enough to know that like taking care of your kids is hugely important. Mm-hmm. And so the having the focus of, is this going to get me closer to taking care of my kids or not? That's a really important question. Or I guess also, it
0: heightens the, like you said earlier it heightens the importance of these relationships so i might not call my kids today for instance but no but but heightening it just a little i will call my kids today so so the direction sort of intensifies a little bit yes i think and i think what i think i think what is applicable is intensifying those directions because we really don't know i mean you might know and so that's intensified the this direction for you of of relationships but I think it's important to always intensify them. Like you can't say, Oh, this Friday I'm gonna do something I don't wanna do because I always have next Friday. Right. You know, better to, to intensify every moment. Uh and then there there's that cliche, like live life like it's your last. I'm not sure that's a good cliche either, because that could be taken in a lot of different ways, but let's just take it in this way. You know, in a positive way, you should almost live life like today's your last Friday or or
1: Yeah, no. Excuse me, I, I totally agree with that. I think there's two things there, is that um, if you really live today like it's your last, you, you end up mortgaging your future. You know, you make decisions. Uh, you know, if I really thought I was gonna die tomorrow, I, I would just go immediately max out my credit card. I don't know what I would do, but I mean like literally if I thought I was dying tomorrow, I would go out and have very reckless behavior in the next 24 hours. Right. And then to your point, when it turns out I probably don't die tomorrow, then tomorrow I'd be like, oh man, that's gonna, that's gonna suck. And now I have to deal with the ramifications of that. And so, you know, I really believe in, in not mortgaging, not mortgaging your present for the future and not mortgaging your future for the present, because all we really know that we have is today. But if I'm really present today, then, you know, you can't go out and, and do something that you know will harm your children 10 years from now and be happy about it today. Right. And so if you're really present to what today, what you want today, today you do want your kids to be happy ten years in the future. And so that allows you to balance that out a little bit, you know, but focusing on, oh my God, ten years in the future, what's going to happen? you have no idea, and I have no idea.
0: So let's say, I mean, you've been under the gun with this almost literally for these three years and and thank God, all these different drugs have worked, and now you're in the new this new drug protocol and then and then hopefully there'll be a new one discovered. This is a weird question. And we've we've talked about it in this past, but at some point, do you want it to be over? <laughs> like, do, do you want, is there ever, do you think there'll ever be a point where, let's say they find a drug that, okay, this one this one might last 48 months for you. Would
1: that be a little bit of a drag? <laughs> That's a long time now. Um, no, it's an interesting question. Uh, I, and, and I don't know, there's no easy answer to it. Because mm-hmm. uh, it could be obvious answer is, of course you want to live as long as possible, but, but is there some, is there some nuance there? Well, so there? Like, like when I was on, I mean, it, and the answer is it depends. Mm. Uh, when I was on the last medication at the uh, at the peak dose, you know, when I had the the, the greatest side effects, I was I was just like, I can't do this. What were some of the side effects? Uh, tremendous uh, nausea, uh, mm. tremendous uh, fatigue, mm. uh, couldn't eat anything. Uh, it was, I was losing a huge amount of weight. Uh, everything tasted bad. Uh, as I said, I was too tired. When people came over, I couldn't pay attention. I was just constantly uncomfortable. Uh, uh, lots of cramping too. That's actually one of the, I still have some cramping, but that's, I don't really understand why, but you just get these like wake up in the middle of the night, just in excruciating pain for an hour. And there's just nothing you can do about it. Where? Uh, generally in the legs, but it could be anywhere. Uh, And so you know, and I don't have that level of pain right now. But when, but when that was going on, I mean, you know, it's like if this is if this is the rest of the life, then there's just no point to to doing this. And then at the second level of dose, it was very much like, you know, I don't know. I mean, like, I I don't know. At some point, I may just decide to stop doing this. Uh, It wasn't like I felt like I had to, but you know, there's that that sense that you know, if you believe. I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing. So like, uh, so I have to digress for just one second is, is that, you know, having a really short fuse is unbelievably easy. And and like so much stuff that you worry about just goes away. You know, like if you're asking like dating, like, well, you know, you can't have a really serious relationship in six months. And so if you're gonna be dead in six months, you don't worry like, oh, am I, am I ever gonna get married? You don't even think about it. You're just like, nope, not gonna do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and so there's so much stuff that I I and even still I don't have to worry about. And I'm very I'm very thankful for that in a lot of ways. Um and you know, starting about a year ago and even now, you know, a year later, they keep extending the timeline. And so like my my fuse keeps getting longer and longer. And it's harder and harder not to get anxious about stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh and and so, you know, I have that anxiety uh developing a little bit these days. Uh, I still largely fight through it because it's still enough stuff to remind me that uh, you know that I'm sick and that I have a short fuse that I can't forget it. But it's also really easy for me to be like, oh man, if I last three years, you know, crap, I might run out of money. What am I going to do then? Mm-hmm. And then I think, you know, who cares? I mean, you know, celebrate because I, you know, it's only good news if I run out of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I feel like I didn't ask answer your question. No, 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 that that does. And and so, you know, but do oh wait. Right, so do I want yeah you know, at least once a week? There's a moment when I just think it'll be nice when this is finally over. And and and
0: I mean, part of that is do you get depressed if if there's news of a new drug <laughs> that could extend? I don't. I get
1: anxious. I don't get depressed. I get anxious. Huh. You know, because, because like
0: the money, the relationships, or does will the drug work or not? Like, what what part
1: makes you anxious? future
0: mm-hmm.
1: like that's the that, i mean that's the that, i mean this is this is totally cliche you know but like you know i mean like so the summer was interesting because this summer there were a couple of different choices uh that i had to potentially make uh and there was a lot of test results coming out and at the beginning it, and so there was they wanted at one point they were considering putting me on a stage one trial and these are the riskiest of trials, and there's a there's a good chance they completely don't work. Stage one is mainly designed to test toxicity and does the drug work at all? Mm. Not how well does it work, just like does it even do anything and will it kill you? Mm. Uh, but of course, the stage one drug is the early you know that's the magic bullet that you're hunting for too. So you don't really want to do a stage one trial. But the thing is, is that. I couldn't do a stage, I mean, after this drug, I probably don't qualify for any stage one trials because after two of the drugs, now I'm not a clean sample. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this mm-hmm. summer was like, do a stage one now or never do it. And mm-hmm. if I do the stage one, then there's a, you know, there's, it takes about four months to discover it doesn't work if it doesn't work. And in four months, my the, like my brain metastasis grows so fast when I'm unmedicated, that in four months that could do really significant damage, mm. or it could actually be phenomenal. Now, ultimately, the doctors decided that I they actually just wouldn't even let me do it um, <coughs> because they thought it was too risky. But at one point, you know, I'm I'm looking at these things. I'm trying to decide, you know, do I do I try to go for the magic bullet? You know, with the knowledge that it could really significantly impact me. Could you,
0: would you call the research scientist who made the drug and, and ask, like, for his, what's what's his philosophy behind how he made the drug? Interestingly
1: and- enough, I wouldn't, but a good friend of mine worked in uh, the technical part of cancer research and knows a lot of the teams. And he was like, I'm going to call, he's like, as soon as they, they tell you the drug names, I'll call the, the teams and find out what they think about it. Mm. Um, but, you know, so like when you, so you know, the this is, I, I'm very mathy. I'm very kind of geeky in the way I think about stuff. And so, you know, in uh, August, we just even, you know, so even when we decide not to do the um, uh, what should call it the, the the clinical trial, we've got you know two drugs, one with a sixty percent chance of working, and one with a fifty percent chance of working. And so what I know is is that you know if you make a two by two quadrant, there's a thirty percent chance neither drug works. And so in August, I'm aware that there's a 30, one in three chance that I've got about four to six months of high quality life left. And you know what sort of plans can I make when I don't know that? And I mean, and if I don't, you know, if, and if it doesn't work at all, you know, I'm I'm just. A few months away from you know physical surgeries, potential massive, like potentially in a wheelchair, potentially in a in a hospital bed. And so like there's no ability for your brain to even think about, you know what would I do. Mm-hmm. now, fortunately i'm I'm in the you know right now the good half quadrant, so we've we've definitely pushed that off, you know, a one, two, two and a half years, however long we've pushed it off, we pushed that off for a while. But so it's really difficult to make plans when, when it's so dynamic, the, the volatility of you know literally I mean even as it, even as I'm saying this, I know that there's about a 20% chance that in two weeks I'll be told that the that it's not working in the brain. Mm-hmm. and then that takes us down a totally different fork. And so, so there's all these
0: there's kind of these periods of like uh, no news is good news and then there's suddenly these periods of like serious decision making where you have to like build these quadrants and figure out these odds and
1: and so on. Yeah, and that changes everything. Well, it's not even that. I, it's not even so much that there's that much decision making. Is there's just that much outcome variability, mm-hmm. you know? And there's, I mean, there's not, a lot of decisions. Most of the time, the doctors are like, uh, "You can, you know, we, you, can, you know, we, we'd like for you to do this if that's okay." And then you're like, "Well, what happens if I don't?" And then they're like, "Uh, your your brain will explode." And you're like, "Okay, I guess I'll 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 do what you said." and that sounds like a yeah,
0: brain exploding doesn't sound
1: good. <laughs> Didn't actually say that, but uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so so.
0: In the U.S. is the best, what I always think of as the best cancer centers in the world was Sloan Kettering and MD Anderson, but is that not true?
1: Three best cancer centers in the world, hands down, Sloan Kettering, MD Anderson, and Institut Gustave Rossi in Paris. I see, so that's the one you go to. That's the (laughs) one I go to. Uh Uh, The difference is uh, my total out of pocket costs per year range generally about 100 to 150 euros per year so less than 200 bucks a year. Wow. For some reason I don't know why the uh the French government will not pay for magnesium pills. Uh and so I have to buy my mag- I take magnesium uh twice a day. For what? Uh that's actually part of the cramping you're we talking about. Uh, you know what? I've been told magnesium's good for cramping cuz I get sometimes
0: cramps magnesium and magnesium is great, great for it. cramping. I why is that?
1: literally I have no idea, but I literally if I take no magnesium, I will not be able to walk. I will be in pain, you know, tons of times like i'll laugh and then a muscle in my rib cage will freeze up and then i can't you know it's in like inside the rib cage so i can't stretch it it's it's excruciating i take uh two of the uh slow release magnesium pills per day and now it's it's very small very manageable
0: how many pills a day do you take overall
1: uh 20-ish 20-ish yeah and do you take any painkillers not now i've taken a lot of painkillers i have all the good painkillers but uh Why didn't you drop them off uh, last time we saw each other? (laughs) You know, uh, you hadn't bought me dinner yet. We'll see now (laughs) that you bought me dinner. Um, So Mike, your your party's gonna be in January. Your party's gonna be in January. What what day? January 9th to 14th.
0: Mm, All right, maybe I should go over to to France. Definitely go over to France. uh, I haven't been to France in I don't know, I guess close to 20 years. I mean it's a little way it's it's far
1: away from 79th Street, but I know
0: I'm gonna have to leave my block.
1: <laughs> I don't usually leave my block.
0: I'm afraid of that now. Um but you know, Mike, thanks for coming on and, and sharing all this stuff. And of course, I don't it's obvious, but good luck on whatever counts for for luck on this point. Yeah. What is good luck for you right now? Uh, presumably that it doesn't go to the brain. That's the first piece of good luck.
1: I don't I honestly, James, I don't care what happens mm. on that front. It's just, it's just, it's the ride, you know, I, I really, I, it's something that I find hard to explain to people, but I'm completely at peace with the fact that I die. Mm. Uh, and I actually, you know, going back to something you were saying before is that I wish other people were at peace with the fact that they're going to die, mm. because I really think that knowing that and even quantifying it a little bit, is is makes you make better decisions. I think it makes you live a better life. I think that's I think that's really true. And also I think
0: it's really hard to think that way. Because the bot the brain, look, that's why it's almost a Darwinistic thing, is the people who didn't think that way lived lived and had kids. And you know, if you're if, if somebody thought always like, oh I'm not gonna live, so I'm not gonna have kids that group
1: of humans. Oh died no, I don't think without. that. I don't mean that. Like, I don't think you know. Think about your death imminently. Uh-huh. But like, you know, you you mentioned a couple times the number. You know, you live twenty five hundred weeks. Right. You know, statistically, you've got about two thousand of them left, uh-huh. and and you're probably going to work eighteen hundred of them or so, maybe sixteen hundred of them. And 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 you know, I, I and I've mentioned this to you before, but like, if you only had two thousand dollars in the bank you would be totally cognizant of everything that you spent the money on. But almost everyone will just be like, "Ugh, oh, I don't know, this boyfriend, this girlfriend, Ugh, oh, I'll deal with it next month. And right. it's like, you just spent four more weeks that you will never, ever get back. You know, you'll, I mean, yeah. how many, how many, like how long did you, we both stayed HBO? I mean, I shouldn't say that on air, but how much did you stay there loathing it and was, uh, you allow longer than me. Yeah, well, you were smart. You got out, <laughs> mm. and uh, but you hated it for a long time too. Yeah, uh, you just scheme, you were just scheming to get out faster. Right, and, right. Uh, scheming a, is the right word. You had a, you had a much better <laughs> exit strategy than I did. I just waited till I got fired. Mm. You waited until you uh, made a lot of money. Mm. Uh, but I mean, it's like how many? You know, how long will we wait? You know, it's like how many Friday nights will we stay at home until we realize we don't have any more Friday nights. You know, and that's the thing. It's not that I think that, I think life has tremendous meaning and, and tremendous opportunity. And 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 it's we, we make decisions out of fear because we're afraid of, of something that there's no reason to be afraid of. You know, like when you think about what actually happens, that's going to happen. Like you're going to die. What the hell are you afraid of? You know, it doesn't really. And so I think that, I don't know. I think that if you just recognize how precious the time that you have on life, on, on the planet is, you just live a better life. And it's it's, it's not, it's the opposite of nihilism. It's like every, this again, huge cliche, but I really feel it every day is a gift. And I'm very aware that at any given moment, there are an an infinite number of things I could be doing other than this. And so, you know, there's a bunch of things I could have done other than this podcast, but the podcast is what I wanted to do the most. And so I chose to do that because that's what, that's what I'm gonna spend my time doing is the things that are important to me. Well, I'm, I'm super
0: grateful you are doing the podcast. What are you doing the rest of today?
1: I actually don't know yet. Uh, I was, I, to that point, I've actually got some plans that I'm like, ah, I don't really know if I want to do those plans. So we'll see what I end up doing. Maybe I'm having, a, maybe I'm having coffee with you. I don't know. Yeah, that could be. Um, all right. Well, Mike Van
0: Cleave, I don't know what to say. Uh, <laughs> thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me hey thanks for listening to my conversation with mike it was a really important podcast for me for a lot of reasons but i hope in some ways you benefit from it learn something from it and that it's just as meaningful for you in your own way as it is for me Mike and I also talk about the science of cancer, his medical treatments, the drugs they're testing, and all the advances they're trying to make in medicine to help people suffering from thyroid cancer. You can keep listening now to hear that conversation and learn more about the science and the biology of thyroid cancer. It's not just about thyroid cancer, but all types of cancer. I really recommend it. And if you like this show, I hope you'll subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, it helps other people find the show more easily. Thanks a lot.
1: There's a, there's a treatment, it's very technical and not that interesting. Thyroid is the only tissue in the body which retains iodine. And so they can then target radioactive particles to the thyroid cancer. And 1% of the situations, the thyroid morphs enough to where it no longer uh, absorbs iodine. And so if you were in that 1%, and you know, I always like to be in the top 1%. The, uh, <laughs> you're,
0: you're a success. I
1: huge, yeah, yeah.
0: You're a 1%er, man. I'm a 1%. I don't mean to brag,
1: but I'm in the 1%. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and uh, so anyway, if you, if you have that, then that treatment no longer works. And then you're just a normal cancer. And so then you have back to the untreatable stuff. And that was about three years ago, almost exactly three years ago, uh, they told me that it was now uh, called uh, iodine refractory. And so when that happened, I knew uh, that there was only about a fourteen month window, on average. So
0: so wait so so three months ago. No, three years ago. Three years ago, sorry, three years ago. So seven and a half years ago, thyroid cancer, cured it, somewhat cured it. Yeah. But then three years ago, what happened? Were you feeling like pain somewhere?
1: No, it was. uh, In fact, it was a regular checkup. It was a regular checkup, and it was the last checkup until they said you're in remission, you're good to go. Uh, and they were already saying stuff like, don't worry, this is not going to kill you. You're going to die of something else. And so it was the very last, last test. And then they did t- that test in August and there was a tiny bit of progression and they thought it was coming from uh, a lymph node which had a slight amount of metastasis at the, f- you know, three and a half years earlier.
0: So, so just because I'm totally naive uh, about all this, uh, when they say a tiny bit of progression, they're seeing some cells that are, kind of look either mutating so they don't look like different they don't look like the other cells in the area
1: kind of all right so 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 i mean it's uh you know it's funny because i I know a lot about this subject obviously and i could i could spend the entire podcast just talking about that and i'd I'd be mostly wrong because i'm not a doctor but you know i understand it well enough doctors Uh, are probably
0: mostly wrong anyway probably
1: yeah uh and then and so there's a there's so the they took my thyroid out. And so I have no thyroid. Uh, the cancer Which cells- Which thyroid is
0: like kind of one of those things like the appendix, sort of semi-useless or no?
1: No, completely useful. Uh, the thyroid is creates um, hormones that are then used to create other hormones. And so all the hormones, a lot of the chemicals in your body are produced from the building blocks the thyroid makes. Now, the good news is you can just take uh, thyroid hormones every day and then you're totally fine. And so it's a very really? manageable thing, yeah.
0: And the body doesn't then um, get used to those drugs or, or and stops making the hormones or- Well, no, or... I don't have
1: a thyroid, so I can't make the hormone. Right, so, so, but what, ha- what, so with the drugs, you have to take more and more or like- No, what... no, that's just, you have to have a certain amount of, uh, of the thyroid hormones. They're called uh, uh, the thyroid creates three hormones, T1, two, and three, so T1, T2, T3. And you need T1 and T3. Uh, and so you take, take it in pill form. And then the- If you T- didn't take those drugs, what would happen? Uh, die in about a year, year and a half or something like that. Because how, how basically, ever uh, I don't really even know, but you know, all sorts of uh, like important things in your body would just slowly cease to function uh, because they wouldn't have the necessary, you know, like you wouldn't have any testosterone. You wouldn't have, I think estrogen, but I'm not sure. Uh, but there's a whole bunch of stuff that is uh, like the pituitary gland, if I understand correctly, uh, takes the the T1 and T3 and turns it into other useful things. And okay. so eventually you would so just- So bad things happen. Bad things happen, yeah. So
0: so so some progression has happened, something's leaked so, out so, of the so,
1: thyroid. So, so, what actually what, so what happens is, is at this stage, nothing is visible on the CT scan. And so they don't know anything other than, I take T1 and T3, it's a um, uh, very common medicine. I actually can't remember the name of it all of a sudden. Uh, it's surprisingly nerve-wracking to have a microphone sitting in front of you. While talking uh, about your death sentence. <laughs> well, that doesn't bother me. You know, it's, it's my favorite subject almost. Uh, it's me. Uh, and so the, um, uh, but the, there's a, a byproduct in the thyroid called thyrogobulin. When it's making these hormones, it has a leftover thing called thyrogobulin. And they can measure the thyrogobulin in your body. And since I don't have a thyroid, I should have no thyrogobulin in my body. And so that thyrogobulin is the marker for, is there, you know, rogue thyroid cells. So like something slipped out when they
0: when they removed the cancer from the thyroid, when they removed your th- thyroid, something that potentially
1: had cancer on it slipped out. You could, you could look at it that way. I mean, yeah. what it really is, is that little thyroid cells uh, broke off of the cancer and then they swam around in my body until they found a place where they could land. Uh, the first one was in my, uh, my lung and so, then the thyroid started growing inside of the lung. So I have so, a little so. tiny thyroid in my lung.
0: So does that mean then? So, 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 what's
1: that called? That's metastasis.
0: And so, so, is that like related? Or does that mean you have like a
1: little bit of lung cancer, or is it just? No, no. I have thyroid cancer in, in the lung. lung. <laughs> so, so I don't have lung cancer. Right. So the, the, the so a thyroid. I mean, a cancer means it's the original cells that have mutated and they're now capable of going somewhere else. So they
0: see a tiny bit, what's a tiny bit? Like a millimeter worth or? Uh,
1: I think the lung is four millimeters now. Um, so yeah, I mean, the largest, uh, so I have, I don't even, I can't even count them anymore. I think I have 17 bone metastasis. Uh, the largest of those is about the size of a golf ball or was about the size Where's of that? a golf ball. That was in my uh, lower back in and one they, of my vertebra. And, and did you feel that? Yes.
0: So was that was that that must have been painful?
1: That is painful, yeah. So so bone. I mean, the, the thyroid in the bones. You know, your bones have the the hard fibrous tissue, and then they have the marrow inside of it. And the marrow, of course, is where all the blood gets filtered and stuff. So it's a really great place for a cancer to to take up home because it's so rich in nutrients inside of the marrow. Mm. <clears throat> and so what happens is is that you start developing a, a thyroid inside of the, the bone and as the thyroid grows, it breaks the bone from the inside. Mm-hmm. And so now none of my, most of my bones haven't broken, uh, but they started cracking in the, the lower the lower vertebra in the back. And so I've had surgeries on three of the vertebra where they, uh, which is really amazing. They, they take a, uh, a needle, uh, it's, I mean thick, it's like a knitting needle and they put it in and they inject uh, some sort of gas like liquid nitrogen, but it's not liquid nitrogen, but it's inert and it freezes the tumor. So it kills everything in that little ice ball. And they can make the ice ball about a quarter of an inch to about uh, three quarters of an inch and just kills all the tissue inside of there. And then they go in and they inject bone cement, which uh, is basically just a, a epoxy inside of there and fill the cavity up. And so now those those uh, are just as strong as they were before. Mm. Uh, the the you know, the procedure.
0: And so, so, so y- y- you have this, um, session where it's almost, you're almost free and clear from the old cancer. You suddenly realize you have n- new cancer. Does the doctor say, uh-oh, like what, is, what does the doctor say? Well, a- 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 yeah. and just to be clear, like at that point, when you came out of that doctor's office, were you, aware, were you given like, okay, you, most people in your situation have, you know, like you say, 14 months to live or like what's, What's, what's the full amount of information you have at the end of that session
1: well it evolves over a period of time mm-hmm. uh, it is uh, there's a funny anecdote around that as well so. well we want funny the exactly so, this so yeah. when they, so when they when they first discover that there's elevated thyroglobulin count mm-hmm. uh, what they do is and this is how thyroid cancer is normally treated if it's radioactive I mean iod- if it's not if it'll still absorb iodine is you go into a hospital room for three days, they give you a tiny little uh, radioactive iodine pill that's about the size of a baby aspirin. Uh, And then that, because the iodine is only absorbed by thyroid tissue and radiation poisoning is a function of duration, distance, and power, they give you an incredibly low dosage of radiation it swims around your bloodstream, and then when it finds thyroid tissue, it embeds in there, and so now you have you know close proximity for long durations. But the rest of your organs, it just passes by, and so they get almost no radiation uh, poisoning. And so that's how it like systematically you know kills everything. But now you're radioactive for a few days, and so the, the when they did the scan after that, they do I can't remember the name of the scan. Uh, but it's a scan where they, it's like a CT scan, but they're not bombarding me with radiation. They just run the sensors around me because Mm. I'm radioactive. Mm. Uh, And so then they can see wherever there's clumps, you know, of these, of the thyroid cells glowing. And what they could see is that there was partial response in some of the thyroid cells. And so they could see the, uh, I mean, the cancer cells, they could see the cancer cell and they could see that not all of it had absorbed the radiation. Which means that it was no longer absorbing, and then they did more tests eventually and saw that there was there were other sites which had uh, cancer in them but did not pick up the uh, the iodine at all. So, if from that point you had not done any
0: treatment, how long would you have survived?
1: Three to six months, probably. Three
0: to six was announced three years later. So, what happened? And and. Um... Well, well, it's, th- it's three well, years later. What
1: was it? Was it just, I gotta tell you the funny anecdote part. Though. Oh yeah,
0: tell me, of course, we can't, and we can't so, miss the humor. And so
1: this is, so I'm on the table getting the scan and I'm really expecting this to be nothing. Like I'm, I'm three years into it, you know, one thing away from it uh, and they do the scan. And then I go in the waiting room, this is usual. And they come back I'm like, uh, Mr. Van Cleave. Uh, of course it's in France, so it's all in French. The technicians don't speak uh, English very well. Uh, and my French is good, but you know it's still a little confusing because medical terminology is uh, sure. medical terminology. And they're like, we, we, you know, one of the pictures didn't quite come out clearly. Can we just get you to come back on the table for a few minutes? And it's like, yeah, sure, no problem. I'll go back on the table. Didn't really think anything about it. And then they go back on the table, and then they're like, okay, go back, and you know, we'll send you home in a few moments. And and I go back out, and about a half hour later, they're like, actually, we're really just having problems getting a, a, a good image of this one area. You know, could you come back? And uh, I was like, uh, okay. And then I start noticing that like other doctors are coming in, and like there's a little bit of commotion behind the you know in the control room. And I was like, oh, this this can't be good. And then it turns out they were looking at um, a metastasis in my uh, I think it was in my hip, but it was in the lower part of my body. Uh, but I knew that um, uh, I knew that the testes was one of the places where you know, it might metastasize too. Actually, I don't even know if that's true, but I, I I believed it strongly at the time. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, they're they're taking pictures of the little guys. Like, oh my God, they're gonna, I have metastasis and it's in the little guys. And the first thing I thought of is I have three, uh, three of my friends in Paris who were uh, young women, uh, no sexual relationship with them whatsoever. But the first thing I thought of was, gotta get to a sperm bank so that if they wanna have, you use my sperm, uh, they can get knocked up. And so like the very first thing that occurred to me- Was altruistic. Was uh, totally <laughs> altruistic, but I was just like, how do I knock up my hot friends? That was the first thought that I had. And then I was like, that's a really weird thing to think about, because this is clearly, you know, a more significant thing than knocking up hot friends, but-
0: Also, I don't know the genetics of your cancer, but maybe they might not want to be knocked up by your- <laughs>
1: You know, well, that's a whole nother story. I think genetics of cancer, just my own genetics, maybe, uh, you know, maybe the question.
0: Do you, you, you think the kind of cancer you have is genetic?
1: Uh, they actually don't know, huh. uh, but probably not.
0: So, so do you have any reason why you to guess why you would get it, or is it sort of random? Or it is
1: completely random. Uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say that. They really don't know. There's a there's a dramatic upstake in, I mean, upswing in uh, thyroid cancers in the US uh, and worldwide, and they're not sure why. The only known risk factors of thyroid cancer are literally things like people who live near. Um, uh, I can't think of the name of that Soviet. Uh, like Chernobyl? Cancer. Chernobyl, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, did you live near Chernobyl? Were you in Hiroshima? Like these are the only risk factors of thyroid cancer, but there's been, I think, a 20% increase in the last 20 years of thyroid cancer. So they so, so you
0: would you would wonder, do people in Utah or Nevada have like high risk of thyroid cancer? Well,
1: everyone, just the whole population's getting thyroid cancer more frequently than they used to, huh. but there's still no known risk factors for it other than uh, proximity to radiation.
0: So, so okay, so so you're given, you, you, you come, well, okay, so wait, you finally um, come back and realize it's not your testes. Right. It's, not, it's, it's, just, not, it's not the little guys. It,
1: and so then, you know, in answer to your question, there's a whole bunch of scans, you know, they do the CT scan, then they do a PET scan. Uh, and then the, you know, the first thing that I really got from the doctor uh, was, and actually still, if I ask the doctor this question, they always just say, don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, impossible to predict on an individual basis, mm-hmm. uh, and so like you know, you and I have talked a lot about poker. Same sort of thing. You know, we know that one in five times your aces gets cracked. I have no idea whether your aces are going to get cracked this time. Mm-hmm. And so the doctors really just are very careful not to set expectations. Now, my doctors either love or hate me because I read all the medical journals. I never ever. And by the way, anyone is sick. I recommend you do not read patient sites for cancer, because it'll just terrify you. Mm. But the medical journals, you know, will tell you what's, what the current state of the art of thinking is. And so anyway, I went in and I was like, so what does this mean? And she's like, well, it's really hard to say, uh, blah, blah, blah. And uh, and so then I was like, well, as I understood it, uh, you know, I read the, uh, whatever journal it was, and it said this, 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 and this, uh, and that seems like, you know, not a very good you know, situation. And she kind of hemmed and hawed, and I repeated it, and she said, "I don't really know what you want me to say. You understand the situation perfectly accurately, uh, and that was kind of the most confirmation. Uh, confirmation of what? That 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 I knew that what I knew was correct. That it was a nine to twelve month, you know, kind of outside uh, period. And and just to be clear,
0: because we didn't set the stage in the beginning, you have you you have cancer right now. Oh yeah, yeah. So it hasn't. Is it, would you say it's worse now than it was then? I mean, as much as you've tried to control it? Oh no, it's
1: significantly worse now. It's significantly more controlled now. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so the thing is there are, uh, at the time of this, there were two drugs approved in Europe for the treatment of the cancer. Uh, And now there's three. Uh, And, and, And is it better in Europe or to be in US? It really doesn't matter for the most part. Because the same drugs were in the U.S., uh, same drugs are worldwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, the FDA and the EMA may approve things at, at different rates, so mm-hmm. you know sometimes something's available in Europe, it's not available in the states, and vice versa. But if it's an effective treatment within six months to a year, it's available, you know, everywhere. So it's mm-hmm. just a matter of of the the bureaucracy timing. And you know, contrary to I think a lot of belief, the FDA and the EMA are both very efficient uh, and both do it at about the same time. But there's just kind of some randomness in terms of you know how long it takes to get something through
0: so so you took you went through a bunch of different drug protocols each one lasts how long
1: well so the first one that i took was uh, pazopanib and pazopanib uh, on average lasts it works for 50% of the people uh, on average for 12 months so you were in the good you were in
0: the good 50% i was in the good 50% and, and 12, 12 months later they started seeing it was not working well, as well i
1: was extremely lucky because uh, i mean very fortunate in that I didn't start showing symptoms of growth for 24 months. Oh, okay. And then I was able to stay on it for about another four months uh, while they figured out what the next treatment was. So I actually got you know, a useful 28 months out of that. And so that's you know two and a half times what they expected me to have out of that.
0: And um, so that's incredible. How often does that happen?
1: Uh, probably just a few percent. I mean, it's a fairly long tail out there. Uh, each standard deviation is about three months. So
0: that would have taken you close to like a year ago, right? So- uh, no,
1: I mean, actually I just switched cancer medications uh, about two months ago. Okay, and so how's that going so far?
0: And how, how long is this one supposed to work? And and, and by yeah. the way, to, to be clear, I, I from what I understand, these cancer drugs eliminate, let's say 90% of the cancer, but meanwhile, the other 10% is growing. And that's why you suddenly then need a new cancer drug.
1: Yeah, it's actually it's actually more effective than that if they work. I mean, they may not work at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for like fifty percent of the people, it just has no effect. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then for the people that it works, you know, it probably is because there's literally you know hundreds of millions, if not billions, of cancer cells because you just have a lot of cells in your body, Mm -hmm. and so it works in like ninety nine point nine percent of them. But as you said, over time, that one percent that it doesn't work in keeps having and growing and growing and eventually there's more of those and there are the ones that it works in and so eventually you develop what's called resistance but it's really not resistant it's just actually the, the right, cells it's not that...
0: standard. It's not like antibiotic resistance, no. where where your body gets used to it. No, it's just like the cells that never were affected have have continued to sort of replicate exactly. themselves, and now they're the cancer in your body. Exactly, and they've replaced the old cancer cells in your body. That's mostly. exactly correct. So 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 then, two months ago, they started you on a new drug that I guess was straight out of trials or straight out of experiments, and and how, how is that going?
1: So far, we think very good. Uh, it's uh, so the I'm, I'm I'm actually just at almost two months. On Friday, it'll be on two months. So have, that's why I have to go back to Paris uh, is to have a some uh, tests on Friday. Uh, and in the first two months, we've seen a fifty percent reduction in the thyroglobulin which is the cancer marker I was describing before. So this means there's a 50% reduction in cancer activity, which means the cancer cells, the total number of cancer cells have to have shrunk by 50%.
0: And could is it possible, could this drug work forever? No. So what's, gonna, what's, the, what's the likely pathway of this drug?
1: This drug is about 18 months for uh, quote unquote working. Uh, and working is defined that the cancer is shrinking. Mm-hmm. which is not, and now there's another one a metric called progression-free survival, which means that your cancer is stable. Uh, now, for me at the moment, as you can tell, I don't really have any side effects. Mm-hmm. All the side effects I have are side effects of the medication. Mm-hmm. And so stability is great for me, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, my I, even though I have brain metastasis, they haven't affected anything. And so we don't really as care. As far as we know. As I far mean, as we know. I'm, I'm as dopey as I ever was. <laughs> right. Uh, and, uh, and so, have you
0: noticed anything like some memory blackout? Or no, but it, I, I actually, humor issue
1: or? I haven't, but honestly, anger. anytime I like misplace my keys, I'm like, oh my God, I'm having, you know, my brain's exploding. Uh, you know, like I can, I, can, I can blame the illness for lots of stuff that then two days later I have, you know, I'm just like, no, that was just, that was just stupid. There was nothing to do with that. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. Um,
0: so, okay, so, so this drug And so right months, now
1: the, will, will be tested in October, I'm sorry, November uh, 29th. And that'll be the, the first PET scan I've seen, I've had. And that will tell us where it's working in the body. So the real question now is we know that we have a reduction in tumor mass and the medication is most likely to work in soft tissue, then it's most likely to work in bone and it's least likely to work in brain. And now I had a lot of bone pain by the end of the summer as the last medication quit being effective. And I have no bone pain right now. So there's a very good chance that uh, all the bone metastasis is working. So that really takes about 80% of the badness off the table. Uh, We still don't know whether it'll work in the brain because of the brain blood barrier. Uh, And so we'll find that out on uh, November 29th.
0: And um,
1: uh, what happens in 18 months? Well, in eighteen months, uh, or sixteen now, or, or you know, whenever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's so. It, and by the way, that's the median. And so, you know, if half the people last less, half the people last more. Mm-hmm. Uh, what will happen is at some point, uh, the, the the cancer will just start growing again. And now it's not like when you develop resistance, as as you can imagine, uh, even though it is an, uh, a logarithmic or exponential function, and since it's dividing. Uh, it still takes a long time to overwhelm, and so it's not like a light switch or something. Just slowly. It starts small, and right? It's, and it's got to build. Exactly, it's like one grain of rice on
0: the first piece. You know, set two grains of rice it, before, but then twenty later,
1: it's huge. Exactly, so, exactly. It's like mold in your refrigerator. Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden you're just like, what the hell happened? It's mm-hmm. only been a week but for a long I'm time I'm not eating dinner at your apartment you should not you should not soon. no no so. I, don't, I don't really cook anymore But actually my apartment's just filled with cheese so it's, uh, that's mold anyway so all right, i didn't know that so <laughs>
0: um so so okay so uh whenever this drug stop starts stops to work what happens next
1: then there's one more drug uh which is approved right now and that's uh that drug only works on average for 50% of the people and on average for six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so- That's well, why they haven't used it with you yet because it's it's sort of like the least- It's the worst drug, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the least effective in thyroid cancer. And it's also the least effective in suppression. So the one I'm on right now is awesome. Uh, now, so there, there's a caveat in there is that there is a clinical trial, which is scheduled to start uh, soon uh, in the US, France, the hospital I go to is enrolled in that trial as well. Uh, and so there's a good chance by the time my, this would quit working that I could get into that trial. And that trial is to use this medication plus a biologic agent, which is a different type of, of treatment. And that treatment is very experimental, but they've shown about an additional six months uh, in the early stage trials with this biological.
0: What's a uh, biological agent?
1: So the, the therapy that I currently have, I don't know if you remember, we talked about it last year, it's complicated, but it's called uh, small molecular therapy. And so they can, uh, every uh, cell in your body is made up of a certain number of proteins and they can mathematically model what the shape of the vascularization port is. And so your cells have a hole in the middle of them, which blood goes into, and then you get the osmosis of the nutrients and the oxygen and all of that stuff. The small molecule therapy is they actually design a, a non-soluble molecule that plugs up that port. And so it's just literally like they're just putting corks in all of these cancer cells and they just die of starvation. And that's actually how this medication works. Well that's and, fascinating. They even invented that. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's 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 you know subvisible. And so it's all done through mathematical modeling of the likelihood. Cause they know so my particular one can, is called, can
0: they can they ever make like, I don't know, cell robots the size of cells that just go through and like find all the cells and patch them up.
1: I mean, that's, that's you know, that's the science fiction, you know, the nanotech mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, I don't know that, you know, they're anywhere right. close to All doing right. something yeah. like that. Um, and so anyway, so the uh, the small molecular therapy, uh, there's only, I th- and I don't remember the exact number, I think it's around 40, 45 proteins in your body that are used to create every cell in your body. And then a subset of those, and I think that number is around uh, 10 or 13, 10 to 15, are called the kinase proteins. And the kinase proteins are used in like really high growth applications, like uh, making hair or skin pigmentation, uh, and also uh, fingernails and cancer, because the cancer is really fast growing. So there's a lot of kinase proteins inside of the cancer. And so what they can do is take these, these proteins and then figure out what the shape because they're like Legos. I mean, the proteins are always the same shape. And so they mathematically figure out what could the shape of that port be once you combine those proteins. And so then they try to plug that up. And so each of these three medications is just a slightly different shaped non-soluble molecule. And since they can't block 100% of the ports, then again, as we just said, the 1% or the half a percent or whatever that's not blocked eventually overwhelms it. And then you try the next drug and try to block that up.
0: So let's look at like a best case scenario. Right. So 16 months is the median of the drug you're currently on. Yeah. So let's just say 24, 30, 32 months. Some 24, yeah, probably. 24 months is the possibility. Mm-hmm. And then this next trial is six months, but that's like a median, so let's say 12 months. So then you're looking at like 36 months, and then you're gonna really hope that there's another drug that's in trials or something that we don't even know exists yet. Right. And so otherwise you're looking at, at a maximum um, of three years. That's about right, yeah. And what happens then? Like you'll, you'll, your cancer will be um, spreading and
1: there's no way to stop it. Can they, can they go back to old drugs and see if those work? No, I mean, really, honestly, really bad things happen. They will uh, revert to surgical procedures. To kind of scrape out cells that look bad. Yeah, I mean, so they said in this current drug, about 80% of the really bad is off the table. If there is no effect efficacy in the brain, they'll keep doing radiation treatments. And they do these three-dimensional radiation treatments where they have a couple lasers that rotate around your head and shoot radiation beams in your head and they can target an area as small as two millimeters. Mm-hmm. And so they can really precisely place that. And because they're going around your head in a circle and they never cross the same path, it's a little bit like, you know, a bicycle wheel. You can't see the outer spokes because they've moved so fast, but the at the hub, it looks like it's standing still. So they concentrate all the energy that way. So there's very little radiation on the side. So they'll start doing that and that's very effective. But at a certain point, you reach the maximum amount of radiation the brain can have. And then the brain just starts developing other sorts of radiation related problems. Like what? Uh, it's radio necrosis. And so wherever the these laser beams go, you have dead tissue in your body. Mm-hmm. Uh, that dead tissue can become infected. And so how long can you do these radiation treatments on the brain? Uh, I don't even know. I mean, it, it. well, I mean, I know there's no direct answer. It depends on the total duration and power of the radiation beams. So I, I can't remember, it's uh, I think microcuries is the, the unit of measurement. I f- actually shouldn't even say that. I have no idea what the unit of measurement <laughs> is, but I know that the number is around like a hundred and you can't have more than a hundred units until you'll develop leukemia or some sort of other hideous thing. So they'll start with the radiation treatment, then they'll finally go to surgical procedures where they actually just go in and cut out the cancer cells. Uh, but eventually it just becomes whack-a-mole because it develops very fast. Mm. And so then, you know, there's kind of two choices for me. Both are really unpleasant. I'll either have massive brain failure or I will have spinal failure. And that really just means that my my bones will, my spine will break into pieces and I'll become paralyzed and and eventually the, you know, organs and stuff will shut down because it'll kill Mm -hmm. the nerves. Mm -hmm. And so I'll die that way.
0: So, um, that's all fun. (laughs) (laughs) Good morning.